Well, good evening. Hope you are as eager and as expectant to open up God's Word as I am. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, looking at verses 11 through 16. So if you want to turn with me in your copies of Scripture there. 1 John chapter 3, continuing in our series uh, through the Ten Commandments and reflecting on uh, the catechism and how it unfolds and unpacks the intention of the commandments. But tonight, what we're actually going to be looking at is the larger catechism. And the way those two things relate, the, the shorter catechism and the larger catechism, the, the larger catechism is, is basically whenever you would work out your math problems to, to the nth degree and you had, to, you had to fill it out all the way to the bottom, shorter catechism is a bit more like punching it into the calculator and getting your answer. Uh, the larger catechism is a little more full, and I thought it was helpful here on this question of the sixth commandment. So we're going to be looking at question and answers uh, 134 and 135 of the larger catechism, and then I'll be reading 1 John chapter 3. And I, and I hope this, these two things work together uh, to help give us a, a greater sense of what the Lord would call us to. So first, which is the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment is you shall not murder. What are the duties required in the sixth commandment? The duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices that tend to the unjust taking away the life of any. By the just defense of them against violence, patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, medicine, sleep, labor, and recreations, by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, and requiting good for evil, comforting and aiding the distressed, and protecting and defending the innocent. Now to God's Word, 1 John chapter 3. This is the Word of our God. Give it your full attention. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So far, the reading of God's word. The sixth commandment is probably the least controversial commandment, at least on the face of it. I think you go 
to, to just about any culture at any time and in any place in the world, and they would say, well, murdering's bad. Killing people's bad. That's, we shouldn't be doing that. But when we read uh, the shorter, and especially the larger catechism, we find that this commandment is far deeper and far more expansive. The, the logic of the sixth commandment is massive. It extends to all of our lives, and it extends to the deepest part of who we are. This commandment that seems so simple, something that we don't even really have to try at. You know, I, I don't have the, the impulse to murder people daily necessarily. That, that's probably something good to hear from your pastor, right? But the sixth commandment is not just uh, concerned with murder with our hands, but with the heart of hatred that leads to murder. To be pro-life according to how the, the sixth commandment is unfolded in Scripture and in the catechisms is to deal with the hostility that exists within our own hearts, the hostility that we bear toward other people. Our passage tonight helps us to see that more clearly. John has been busy meditating on the marks of a true and authentic Christian. And one of the chief marks that John notes, and he comes back to again and again, is that a true believer loves the brothers. Loves the brothers. He loves other believers. He loves the church. And John sets up here a, a, a contrast that invites us to examine our own hearts and lives. Does my heart tend towards self-sacrificial love or hatred? Do we tend toward love or murder? If your, if your heart were a slope, which way does it, does it go? And how we answer that question speaks a great deal to the genuineness of our confession. This is not just an insignificant matter, your, your anger and your hatred, your hostility, but this strikes at the core of your confession as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, this strikes at the core of your life as well because hatred and anger will consume all that you love and destroy your life. We must deal with our anger. I'm going to hold on to the big summary of this passage. Usually we give like the big expansive, like this summarizes everything neat and tidy. I'm going to hang on to that until the end, but I want to go ahead and just give you a brief roadmap. First, we're going to look at the contrast between Cain and Christ. Then we're going to, to ask ourselves, examine ourselves of, what, of our own hearts. And then finally, I want us to see the hope we have for the obedience that we might offer to the Lord in the sixth commandment. So a contrast, an examination, and then finally, a hope. So look with me first uh, again. What We're going to jump into verse 12. It says, we should not be like Cain. Cain is the first individual that John brings into the contrast. Cain, who we read of in Genesis 4, Cain who murdered his brother. 
It's what he's known for. We see that, that if, you, if you jump into Genesis 4, it's he murders Abel after God accepts Abel, his brother's offering, instead of Cain's. Now, some suppose it's because because Abel brought meat and, and Cain brought fruit and the Lord prefers meat to fruit. That might be your own personal preference, but that wasn't the heart of why God rejected Cain's offering. Abel's sacrifice was by faith. And we come to see that as we look at the many other New Testament passages that reflect on, on Cain and Abel, that, that Abel had faith as he was offering his, his sacrifice Cain lacked that faith. He lacked that trust in the Lord as he was bringing his offering. Cain was turned away from God in his worship rather than turned to him. And John says it this way, verse 12, it says, who was of the evil one? Who was of the evil one? He, he, he gives us something a little bit deeper than what, what Genesis 4 says which is that, that Cain's parentage was different than Abel's. Now, that's a little surprising at first because Adam was both of their fathers, but, but John is making a comment about their spiritual, spiritual parentage, that, that Abel was of God and that Cain was of the evil one, of, of Satan, we know that this is Satan because of a few verses before. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been, been sinning from the beginning. And as, as Jesus tells the Pharisees in John 8, you are of your father, the devil, for, you, for your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth, for there is no truth in him. We see that Cain was just adopting the, the pattern of his spiritual father. The, the apple did not fall from the, far from the tree. But John says this also in, a, in another way. He, Cain was of the world. That, that's, that's what verse 13 in, indicates. Do not be surprised, brother, when the world hates you. What John is saying there is, is Cain is participating in the pattern of this world, which is to hate God's children, to hate God's people. Do not be surprised when the world hates you. Just as a a Cain hated Abel, so too will the world hate the church. And as Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Because you are in Christ, the world will reject you. The world will be host hostile to you. The world is set against you in spiritual darkness that it would overcome you and destroy you and leave you in the dirt. Cain was of the world. We might bring another word in. This is Paul in Galatians 5, that, that, that Cain was of the flesh. He says in, in Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now hear this. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. All of these things which go against this commandment to not murder, this murdering heart is a part of the flesh. It's a part of of our default setting whenever we're born into the world is hostility against God and against his law. It's unrighteousness. And this is This is what it means to be like Cain, to nourish and and harbor that hatred, hatred for other people, and especially hatred for our spiritual brothers. Cain's heart was set against God and therefore against his brother, and he was consumed with anger and hatred and murdered his brother. That is the pattern of Cain. That is the pattern of the world. That is the pattern of the flesh. That is the natural proclivity of our hearts. That's the the lie that the world seeks to tell us. That is the, the pathway that Satan hopes to lead us down. Is the pattern of Cain. We must not be like Cain. But John introduced a contrast now, a different figure. That's in verse 16, and it's maybe surprising to you, he's not mentioned by name. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That he is Jesus. That he is the Christ that that John has been meditating on, that the source of all love and life, Jesus, is set in stark contrast to Cain. That might, might strike you maybe a little odd, again, at first, but consider how strikingly opposite they are, how black and white they are. Cain took the life of his brother. Christ laid down his life for his brothers and sisters. Cain murdered because he was jealous of his brother's righteous works. Christ gave up his life because of his brother's unrighteous works. As Peter says in 1 Peter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ is the exact opposite of Cain. John tells us the motive of Christ as well. Whereas Cain was consumed with hatred, Jesus was absolutely and abundantly filled with love. Absolute love for his brothers and sisters. Romans 5 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is the Lord of love who supremely fulfills the sixth commandment, not just in abstaining from evil. He never killed anyone, that's true but even to the depths and the extension of his life, he was 
filled with love for his neighbor and love for his people. He cared so deeply for his church that he died for us. He willingly gave up his life even though there was nothing worthy in us, even though there was nothing deserving, even though he was supremely perfect and we were imperfect, Jesus died for us. What a contrast between Cain and Christ. So we have what is was perhaps the most fundamental contrast that you could strike, the life-taking hatred of Cain or the life-giving love of Christ. And it's in the midst of this contrast, these two towering figures, that we're left to, to, to ask ourselves and examine our hearts. Whose example are we following? Who are we becoming more and more like? Who are, whose pattern are we being conformed to? Is it the pattern of Christ or is it the pattern of Cain? That's what he's, he's really concerned with here in verses 14 and 15. He says, we know that we have passed out, passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Do our actions reveal that we are abiding in death or that eternal life is abiding in us? Do our words convey the heart of Christ for our brothers and sisters? Do we seek to comfort the afflicted or do we pass them by? Do we give self-sacrificially that, that others might receive mercy? Are we patient and forgiving of the failures and even injuries that others commit against us? This is not to say, and I want to be really cl clear here, this is not to say that we should not seek justice, that we should not make things right, that if you are facing oppression, that you should just bear it and forgive. In fact, that would go against the sixth commandment. That would be to give in to the pattern of this world. Rather, this is talking about the ordinary disposition and interactions that we have with one another. When our brothers and sisters fail us, are we inclined to forgive? Do we seek to tear one another down with our words? Do we, do we tear other people down behind their backs? Even in this church building, you're across the hallway and you see somebody walk past and, and you share something that that would make them look worse and make you look better? Do you pick fights and provoke others unnecessarily? Do you like a little conflict? Do you like to stir it up a little bit at the church? 
That's not the pattern of Christ. Do your thoughts reveal love for the brothers? And these are the things that no one else knows. These are the things that are kept away, hidden away, that only God might know, God and yourself. Do you nourish charitable thoughts about others? Or do you relish the opportunity to think less of others? Do you rejoice? Do you rejoice when your brother does good? Whenever he seems to be more accepted by the Lord? Or out of jealousy? And your envy? You hate him. You hate him with all that you got. And even though he might see a smiling face, you are livid. It seems like God is blessing him more than he's blessing you. He'll never know. That's the pattern of Cain. It's not the way of Christ. That's not the heart of Christ. That's unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, we must kill that in our hearts or it will kill us. Will show that the eternal life that, that Christ offers is, is not really in us because we continue to stir up that fire instead of quench it. Called to, to end the hostilities that would mark our hearts. When we're honest, the law reveals our failure to love others as we love ourselves. We'll see that again and again as we look at other commandments, but, but especially as we regard the life of another, their well-being, their good, this warning from the law should come strongest to those who are the most indifferent to loving their brothers or sisters. Those who have grudges that refuse to do anything about them, this law should strike you in the heart that you might do something about it. Even tonight. Do not let this sin consume you. For those of you who, who feel the prick of this law though and recognize your failure to love and, and really long to, this, this law is meant to point us to something even better, something something so good. It's, it's, this isn't supposed to overwhelm you that you might go home and say, woe is me. I should hate my life. But rather, it should drive you to the true hope for obedience. The true hope that we might have to have a, a new obedience, a new walking after this commandment and in gratitude and in joy. And that's ultimately found in Christ's love. Again, it's found back in verse 16. You, you thought I covered verse 16. We're coming back to it. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Christ's atonement is not merely an example. It's not merely a pattern. Rather, it is salvific and transformative and trains us how to love. The love of Christ is not just some model. It does something within us. It changes us that we might love 
others more completely and more fully, that we might love them how he loves them. As it says in 1 Corinthians 5, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is the life-transforming power of Christ through his cross. One of my favorite quotes of Luther, the love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. And so if you see in your own heart a lack of love, you can come to him. He died for your hatred. He died for your hostility. He died to set you free from these things, to to transform your heart that you might love the things he loves and hate the things he hates, that you might love the ones he loves, his bride. And it's as we love one another that, that we have hope to love our neighbor, that we would have hope to love this world that is so in desperate need of his redemptive brotherly love that we can move out and offer the hope that we have in him. We can overcome, and here's here's the summary statement. I told you I'd give it to you. We can overcome the worldly hatred in our hearts by knowing the brotherly love of Christ. We can overcome worldly hatred in our hearts by knowing the brotherly love of Christ. To the extent that we take hold of him, that we truly appreciate him, to the the extent that we apply him to our hearts, do we have hope to love one another? We look to him for help. When we see the places we fall short, we ask for his guidance, that by his spirit he would conform us more and more to himself, that we would be a community, a community known not for the hatred and death that we see out in the world, but that we would be a community known for our love for each other, and that many would come to know the love of our Savior Jesus. That is the hope that we have in him. Let's go to him now. Lord, again, when, whenever I've preached on these passages, I've wondered who is sufficient for these things, Lord. These things are so far greater than what is possible in our flesh. And yet you are greater than our flesh. You are greater than this world. You have overcome Satan. Lord, there is nothing that you cannot do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would transform us, change our hearts to love one another. Lord, that we would not foster the heart of Cain within us, but that we would look so much more deeply into your good and perfect love and that would that would lead us to love one another. 
Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have in you, that, that when we find the hatred, Lord, that, that your love can cast that hate out. So, Lord, may we return to you again and again, even this night, Lord, to find your redeeming grace. Lord, we ask these things in, in your name. Amen.